podcast where we show you that women are capable of absolutely incredible things with the right tools, strategies, and mindset in place. I'm your host, Victoria Smith, and today on the podcast, I am unbelievably excited to be joined by the one and only Dr. Jody Carrington. So I was first uh, introduced to Dr. Jody's work when she keynoted the uh, Bell Let's Talk Hope event here in Calgary in January, and I was blown away by the power of her message, the power of her skill as a speaker, her ability to connect with the audience, to make us laugh while talking about important things. And I'm just so unbelievably honored. Over the past 15 years, Dr. Jody Carrington has assessed, treated, educated, and empowered some of our most vulnerable and precious souls on the planet. She is a child psychologist by trade, but Jody rarely treats kids. The answer lies, she believes, in the people who hold them. Especially when kids have experienced trauma, that's when they need the big people the most. Some of her favorites include educators, parents, first responders, and foster parents. And Jody has shifted the way that they think and feel about the work that they do. So I know I so connected to this when she was talking about how, uh, in that talk back in January, how if the big people aren't okay, aren't okay, the little people don't stand a chance. And I know that for myself in our household, right? If I'm not keeping it together, if I'm not feeling good, if I'm not cared for myself... My kids aren't cared for because I have nothing to give. So it's she, her her work just goes straight to the heart. And I had to have her on the podcast to talk all about how do we connect in a time when we are physically distanced from one another, when we're going through very hard things, when our lives have turned upside down. And then, you know what? I had to answer all my listener questions or as many as we could fit in in the hour because when I told y'all I was having Dr. Jody on the podcast and I asked for your questions, you delivered. So thank you so much. Uh, if you if you go to the show notes for today, which are at girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast dash 157, that's where we'll link to all of Dr. Jody's work, uh, her book, Kids These Days, which I highly recommend that you check out and all her, all the places you can find her on social media, as well as her online courses, which have just launched. Now, the Girl Tries Life podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, which is powered by ATB. So this particular episode is brought to you by Park Power, a provider of electricity and natural gas in Alberta. They offer low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. Park Power is a small local business, and like many of you, it's been closely monitoring the news on COVID-19 and the world's rapidly changing circumstances. While many of their team are currently working remotely, the way Park Power does business has not changed, and their commitment to exceptional customer service will remain. Find out more about Park Power's response to the COVID-19 outbreak at parkpower.ca. Now, as you know, the Alberta Podcast Network is made up of a ton of incredible podcasts, and uh, I want to share one with you today. I mean, we've talked about so many of these podcasts before, but summer is here, you guys. And with summer, I don't know about you, but we fire up our barbecue a little bit more. So there's this phenomenal podcast in the network called Eat More Barbecue, where Ryan Sanderson promotes and fosters barbecue culture in Alberta with his weekly inter show, interview show about the barbecue life. Now, obviously, we're not going out to these restaurants, but I'm sure you can gain a ton of uh, inspiration on how to be a bit of a better backyard barbecuer yourself. So check out Eat More Barbecue. Now, thank you so much for listening, and we're going to head straight into the interview with Jody.
Well, thank you so much, Jody, for joining us on the podcast. I'm unbelievably excited to have you here. Victoria, stop it. <laughs> I am so excited to be here. I'm so glad. I love when we can just sit and have a coffee about hard things. And so let's do it. Yeah. Well, it's funny because this is going to be a slightly different format from most of my podcasts because usually in the episodes, we really dive into like people's career trajectories and how they got to where they are. And I feel like I know a lot of that about you through the um, Inner Circle podcast, which I'm going to link to so people can hear that story. Yeah, Yeah. But like I was just saying to you, uh, when I told people you were coming on the podcast, they flooded my inbox. So if I don't, if you don't answer their questions, they're going to be mad at me. So we kind of got to do that. (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. But I do want to start for those who are like just listening to the podcast. They're like, I don't know who Dr. Jody Carrington is. And they will know by the end of this. Tell us a little bit about how you got into the work that you're in. Yeah, I'd love to. So I'm a child psychologist by training. And uh, I say this quite often, but I don't like kids. Uh, Like I'm not a huge fan of children. I am a huge fan of the people who hold them. And uh, I own three kids of my own. I have a set of twins who are seven and our oldest is nine. Uh, So it's fine. I mean, I really like that, but I, uh, I'm not a fan of kids. Um, and so generally I think it is the hardest job on the planet. And, uh, I, even as a child psychologist, uh, you know, I thought I had it all figured out until they gave me my own personal child. And now, um, I spend most of my time wondering how I'm going to raise these three babies and keep them healthy. And so when I, I grew up in a small town in Alberta and it was actually a teacher who changed my life. So I learned even at 16 how important relationships and connection are and uh, I wanted just to be a motivational psychologist a sports psychologist and so that's how I started on this journey and then I ended up actually doing a uh, an externship with the RCMP so I was a civilian member with the RCMP for two years um, just doing some some work around psychology and I fell in love with the idea of trauma and how trauma can blow apart families and it led to me doing my master's my PhD in police psychology and um, then when I did my residency in Nova Scotia, I had to do uh, a rotation with kids. And then I started to learn a whole lot more about kids and trauma. And so when I came back to Alberta, uh, my first job was at the Alberta Children's Hospital on uh, our locked psychiatric inpatient unit. And uh, those 10 years um, really were probably the most humbling. And I learned way more there than I did in grad school. And um I met my husband uh, during that time and we were both old. So we got married uh, and then we got kids really quick. And then I really felt like I've never been more incompetent in my life. So at when I had twins at 38 years old, um, I then owned three babies under two. I was not still a fan of children. And so I was having a small uh, psychotic break. And so my husband said, I know it'll be helpful. Let's move closer to my mother. Such a good idea. So anyway, so, that, so we now live in old just up the road from you and uh, not very far from my mother-in-law. And I just, I opened a small private practice and uh, started to uh, coach my kids in hockey. That's what I love. And then I started speaking, uh, consulting on the tough kids. My, my favorite are the kickers and the hitters and the biters and the ones that tell you to fuck off. And primarily it's because nobody understands their story. So I started to consult with school divisions on some of the toughest kids that they own. And then I ended up writing a book about it. And um everywhere I go, you know, I'd speak to more and more on more and more stages and the language. So the book is called kids these days and the, you know, the universal approach um, to everything I do in life is that it all comes down to relationship and connection. And that it doesn't matter if those of us holding kids or leading a team aren't okay. Then the people who are serving don't stand a chance. 
So it's become a universal language that has really uh, served well. I mean, this morning I just did a conference to uh, Farm Credit Canada and talked to a lot of people in agriculture. Um, I jumped on with the RCMP uh, earlier or at the end of yesterday, just talking about, of course, stress and um, PTSD. And so, so much of my language is uh, universal and what we're going to talk about today, you know, just how we handle it. Uh, stress of being parents and, you know, balancing kids and divorcees and babies, it, it all comes down to the bottom line, right? You got to feel it, you got to name it to tame it, and then you got to stay connected. And then you add in COVID and it's like, what the hell has happened to us? Well, you know, and that's just the thing, like, let's, let's, how about we put in a global pandemic and then a national tragedy? So, you know, just if you cannot, if if you weren't doing okay before, you really should not be doing okay right now. And so what you often talk about is reconnection and self-regulation for anyone who's like, what I never learned about self-regulation from my parents. What is that? Yeah, it's so interesting. So, I mean, I, when I say to parents, you know, what do you want for your child? You know, when I've ever asked a parent this and, you know, you, you can think about this, if your listeners are listening, you know, the very first question everybody asks this is, you know, if you, if you could give your child anything, you know, what, what do you want for them? And people always say, I want them to be happy. happy. And that's really fantastic. And then if I push parents more, it's like, okay, well, okay, I want them to be happy, but I want them to like do well in school and have friends and like give back to the community. That's what I'd like. I'd like those three things for our children. I was like, cool. The problem is you can't do any of those things well, unless you have the capacity to regulate emotion. So the biggest gift that any of us have to give to our children, whether we're educators or parents or grandparents is really to think about this idea of how do we give our kids the gift of emotional regulation which is how not to lose your friggin' mind because if you can stay calm in times of big emotion then you will make better choices you will do better in school you'll be able to navigate relationships and that's where empathy and compassion lives is when you're regulated if you lose your friggin' mind over everything uh, you have a hard time making friends. You have a hard time staying calm and, and learning literacy and numeracy. And you have no access to kindness. So emotional regulation, kids are not born with it. None of us are. You are given three strategies for free that all mammals have. And us humans have a little bit better. And they're called fight, flight, and freeze. So when you bring a baby home from the hospital, the only way they got to you know, sort of let you know what they need is they lose their friggin' mind, right? So they either you know, show us joy or they cry. And our job as big people is to start to demonstrate emotional regulation. We basically, Ram Dass says this, he's one of my favorite philosophers of all time. He says, we are all just here walking each other home. And basically what he's talking about is, you know, these babies come to us very dysregulated and they only let us know what they need by losing their minds. And we respond by showing them how to regulate. The second they come out, they typically are crying. And those of us who, you know, love this baby now respond like this. Hmm, hmm, okay, 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 okay. And we start to show them how to regulate within their first moments of life. And our job, particularly in the first year, is to do a lot of that emotional regulation. We do a lot of, you know, we feed them and we change their bonds and we rock and we rock and we rock and we rock. And then we take them for a drive and then we put them on top of the dryer and then we call our mother and then we have a glass of wine. Our basic job is to walk them home through having no skills of emotional regulation. And the more I do it in the physical presence of my child, the less somebody has to do that when I'm not there. I am showing them again and again and again how to do that. And part of the issue even before COVID COVID that I talked a lot about is that the biggest issue we face is that we've never been more disconnected in the history of the prairie world. And the only way you could teach a child, show a child how to regulate emotion is you have to show them. You have to be in their physical presence. And we've never been more disconnected than we are now. And so now as we step into COVID, um, you know, so many kids struggle with emotional regulation. When I do consults with school boards, the toughest babies are the ones that have you know, 
difficulty staying calm in times of stress. And the only way you walk them home through it is you, you can't behaviorally punish kindness into a kid. You can't take away enough stuff from a kid to make them be kind. You got to show them. And the ones who need it the most are the hardest to give it to. So when they lose their friggin' minds again and again and again, that's exactly their job because you cannot learn how to regulate emotion unless you get dysregulated first. I can practice all day long when you're regulated. I can say, baby boy, what are we going to do when your sister hits you? What are we going to do when, you know, Tommy calls you a name at school? And when they're regulated and they're calm, they look at you and they say things like this. Okay, I'm going to take a deep breath. I'm going to journal. I'm going to use my words. I'm going to find an adult. You're like, yes, you're amazing. And then 37 seconds later, when their sister calls him a name, they throw punch him and you're like, what? We just we talked about just this. Talked about yeah. this. And then we start to question our capacity as parents. We're like, holy shit, what is wrong? Oh my God. Then we Google it. He got the ADHD. That's what he got. He got the ADHD. And then we start to question whether we should have like procreated. And then we start to like, maybe we shouldn't have been parents. See, I should have chose somebody else because that's drunk Uncle Mark's genes that are showing through. This is a disaster. And then when he's good with other people, you're like, holy shit, it's me. It's me. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, I mean, I got the compassion fatigue. I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be a teacher. I shouldn't be a parent. It's so not true. And, you know, the more disconnected we become, the more we sort of, uh, you know, measure ourselves comparatively on social media. Um, we start to wonder if we're really not doing it right. Because what we see on social media is all the family photos where people are together. Yeah. What we see on social media is, you know, this guy played Uno and they, oh, they made a volcano with a Mentos. And like, they made homemade Play-Doh. Like, who the shit does that? I don't know. <laughs> and we don't really see the images of people, you know, without any bra on, you know, screaming at one kid and the other kid's starting a fire in a corner and, you know, the other one's hanging off. Like, we don't see those things. And so I think that's that's part of the issue now is that we really question our capacity to sit through emotional regulation. And the only way we walk our babies home is to sit through it with them again and again and again. Yeah. I remember when you said that at the talk, the first time I heard you speak about how we, we do this comforting for them when they're kids and then they get a little bit older and it goes out the window. And I was trying to trace it back and I was saying to my husband, I feel like it's once my son started being very verbal that we're like, oh no, he must understand this stuff now because he has words and like, why can't you just behave? And we also come from, uh, my husband is British, my parents are Scottish. And so these households are very much like, no, you do what you're, you're told. All that in play. And it's like, we just seem to be caught up in this. They should behave a certain way. Why can't we get them to? But also we're not giving them that comfort if like, it's such a, push pull it's such a dance right because it's like and then we go the exact the exact opposite okay like that's just love on everybody everybody gets a medal uh we're just gonna let kids do what they want you know what there's so much calmer when they're just on their ipads and they're just free like we just give up then fine go play grand theft auto i don't give a shit here's the issue around emotional regulation is that it is not if you're going to teach it's when yeah. And when kids are losing their minds, you are not be you're not effective even if you have the finest consequence or the best speech prepared. Part of the deal is how do I connect to you, help you regulate, and then I teach, and then I consequence. So timing becomes much more uh, important. Um, the other thing is is that it's really necessary. I mean, kids kids brains aren't fully developed till the 25. Oh, so even I know it's fucking awful. That's why there's wine. And and part of the deal is that. Um, their job is to flip their lid. And so 
even, you know, in adolescence, we think, okay, so they, they look like they're in bigger bodies. They can have articulate conversations. Um, you know, there's sometimes where they're functioning on all cylinders. And then the next minute, you know, they're surrounded by a bunch of other 15 year olds who are like, Oh shit, man. Yeah. Like let's eat a Tide pod. And you're, you're like, you, you are smarter than that. Like, what are you doing? And the problem is they are smarter like than that when they're regulated, when they're calm, when they're full of, you know, connection to the people they love. But when they're surrounded by peers who are also lid flippers, they don't have a lot of neural transmitters that keep that prefrontal cortex on. They're like, fuck yeah, let's do it. You know what? I mean, what's the big deal? This is an age old problem. This is new. Our parents were also concerned about us um, at, ver at various points. And we always think, you know, kids these days are getting worse than they've ever been before. It's not true. Kids these days are as beautiful and as amazing and as confident as we were in our generation. We have just never been this disconnected. Yeah. We've never been this disconnected. And the only way you learn how to, you know, worthiness or emotional regulation uh, is via connection. Yeah. So part of the answer, I think, you know, even on the heels of COVID, um, what I'm concerned most about it in terms of this current is that there's been the disconnection from those regulating others that our kids often get filled up by. They're hockey coaches, they're baseball coaches. You know, our parents actually do very little of the filling up. It is the village in which we raise our children because we are so much better with other people's children. Yeah. You know, like if, if your baby came through my door and, you know, she said, oh, can, can I come over after school? And I'd be like, absolutely. And my kids, and you, you know, my kids and your kids come through my door. I am much nicer to your kid, right? My kid throws his boots off. Your kid slams my door, throws his boots against the thing. And I say to my kid, what are you doing? <laughs> and I say to your kid, oh, do you need a snack, Luffy? Come here, yeah. my muffin, right? Because I have less skin in the game with your kid. And I know that they're, they're just, the story in my head is they're kicking their boots off because they're excited to be in my house. The story of my own personal kid is that they're disrespectful and inappropriate. And I am failing them because clearly they're not making good choices. So I should be harder on them. Right? Yeah. Do, you, do you know what I mean? A hundred percent. Yeah. So, so part of this issue in this place of, of, you know, COVID for me is really like, how do we give each other grace? We are all jacked. We are all losing our mother friggin' minds, including our children. And our kids are only going to be okay if we're okay. Yeah. And so this taking care of ourselves is so critical and yet it feels like a challenge right now. But what I, what is interesting is like you say, we can only teach them by they have to go through it. And so we have all these opportunities if we're working from home with them right now to do that regulation. And you've got five keys to reconnection. Uh, I am opening my well-worn copy of your book that I highly recommend everyone get a copy of. Can you give us a high level overview of what those steps are? Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's, I mean, all of them are, are really, I think important. I think, you know, in, in light of the COVID, uh, in the Corona, what really matters, uh, right now is more than anything is really, how do we feel this emotion? Mm -hmm. How do we really allow ourselves some grace to be like, this does suck. You know, and, and some of, for some people, it doesn't. Some people, this is a dream come true, you know, in terms of the, in the slowing down of life. But there is change and change often causes angst, mm -hmm. whether it's good or bad or whatever the deal is. And there's so much emotion right now that I think we have to name, right? Like kids are now not being able to see their friends every day. And, you know, you and I are maybe having, you know, partners who are, you know, putting themselves in danger every single day because they're frontline workers or, you know, we have just coming off a global tragedy. And so if you own a police officer in your family, I mean, your, your body's keeping the score, right? The reality is, uh, you know, it's a dangerous job. And so 
so much of that, I think, is just requires us before we try to fix it and try to come up with a strategy or, you know, do this, do this. This is why it's going to be great is really just to feel it. And, um, you know, it, perception um, is a is a function of experience. And, you know, we sometimes don't have a good enough time holding space. You know, we, we sort of feel guilty if we're like, you know what, um, I'm, I'm so upset because I can't get my hair done. And then I'm mad at myself for that because I'm like, what the shit are you even, are you, why are you even feeling that for God's sake? Like people are dying and people are going on the front line and you're weanballing over that. Listen, perception is a function of experience. If that's important, if it matters to you, it matters. And when your seven-year-old is like, I just miss my friends. This is awful. And then, you know, your neighbor is a physician and he's like, uh, I'm going to die. I had to decide tomorrow who gets a ventilator between three different patients and I had to choose life or death, right? Perception is a function of experience. As much as that matters to your seven-year-old that he doesn't get to see his kid is as big of an emotion as the guy who's got to pick a vent um, between three patients, right? So if it matters, it matters. Huh? Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So being able to name it to tame it is so critically important. When we just say, hey, don't you be upset about that. You are fine. Do you know what? There's people who are dying we really miss an opportunity to be able to hold space for that emotion and then put it in perspective. Well, and how many of us as adults try not to feel things, right? We'll do any other coping mechanism to not feel something. So to be able to actually teach our kids from a young age, it's okay to feel, and this is how we work through it. We're actually setting them up for so much success down the road or at least regulation success. I don't know. Absolutely. And I think what's really critical, you know, and, and we got to cut ourselves some slack in this process. You know, we're, we're going to do the best we can with what we got. We're going to screw this up because we're anxious and overwhelmed and irritable. And I think so much of it is, you know, really, we only, I mean, there's data on this. Uh, we only need to get this right 30% of the time. You can screw this stuff up 70% of the time. You'll be dysregulated and irritable and overwhelmed and tired and, you know, wishing you never had kids or wishing you never got married or whatever those things are i mean that's normal how do we give ourselves some grace in the situations to then be able to take a deep breath and come back into the game and i think i think that's the number one thing so if i you know you're asking about what are some of the strategies i talk about a little different in the book but i think in the myriad in in this period of the corona i think feeling it is number one number two is then really being paying you know paying attention to what's happening to our physical body in this space because what will happen when you start to feel it is your shoulders are up and your breathing is shallow mm-hmm. So, you know, wherever your listeners are in this moment, I mean, I'd really encourage you to just drop your shoulders. Yeah, feel, feel yourself inside your body, right? Because um, what happened so much, I mean, I woke up this morning and we have a kid in our bed every single second of every single day. We see, you know, somebody got a tummy ache or somebody doesn't, you know, uh, because they feel it. I mean, the, the CNN is often on in our house or I've got some news channel, you know, Aaron and I are talking about, my husband and I are talking about like, okay, what did you see this? And what about this? And which is great. I think they should be exposed to those things, but we sometimes just sort of overlook the fact that they're um, taking in things that we don't give them any space to make sense of. Right. And so then when I'm laying there in the morning, you know, I have a kid in my arms and I should be relaxed, but I noticed even this morning, Olivia was in our bed and I was like, already, like my feet weren't even on the floor. And when I really think like, okay, okay. And it's not an end game, right? You take a one deep breath and you think you're good for the day. Um, what I'm doing sometimes, um, these days on the particularly rough days is I even put a reminder in my phone every hour, like the alarm goes off every hour and I just drop my shoulders, right? How do you relax your belly? I mean, particularly as women, we spend a lot of time sucking in, you know, getting our shoulders back. And really this is a cool thing about being at home. It's just like, let her go, 
relax the uterus, man. And when, and when we do that, right, then really we can get back in our bodies because what's so critically important is anxiety and calmness are not married, right? Anxiety, anxiety in a deep breath will never make out. And I think that's really because they can't. So, so much of this is I want you to feel it, but I also want you to pay attention then to what that does to your body. Those two things have to happen in that order. You feel it first and then relax, and they will go in a cycle. If you try to relax without really naming it, sometimes your body won't allow you to relax because you haven't acknowledged um, the thing that's kicking you in the ass. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I love what you've been saying about like during COVID or any other time, it really is a case of just constantly having to sort of reconnect and rebalance. And it's, and it's okay to go like this throughout the day. It's just about reset, reset, reset. Yeah. This, this right now, I think isn't about good days and bad days. It's about, you know, hard moments and easy moments. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I mean, I, I'm shocked, you know, when somebody can say to me, today was a good day. Like, wow. I mean, cause I like, I, I mean, I have good moments, but there's certainly moments. I mean, we had a team meeting this morning and I was like, holy shit. Like I haven't even thought about these five things. And then now this evening, one of my biggest like things is that my husband and I pay, play a game of crib every day and we're smack into breaking bad. Yeah. And I can, I mean, as much as I have on our plates, like that is now what I look forward to is that we get to get the kids to bed. I mean, <laughs> Not last night, the night before we were like, okay, it's 8.15, everybody go, go to bed. And we're like, we're not tired. We're like, we don't care. We have four episodes. We need to sit in tonight and you cannot learn how to make meth lab. Yeah. It's appropriate for you to watch. It's science at home, right? Well, you know what I mean? And so this is why I feel like even if the yeah. nine-year-old hears it, you know what I mean? Like it can't be all bad. Yeah. No, I love that. I think those are great strategies to, to really focus on, uh, as we're home with this. Um, now, here's where I want to sh like share a real life gritty, like literally going through these moments and I'm like, Dr. Jody, I don't know what to do. Your book doesn't tell me this specific scenario. So I need the answer. Like many parents, uh, I'm not a single parent, but I often solo parent. Uh, you know, my husband will do shift work. I will be home with both the kids. And I know this goes for so many people out there, especially right now if their partners are working in the other room and they're educating and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I have a four-year-old and an almost two-year-old and the oh, four-year-old, they're adorable and awesome. Uh, but it, one of them is also a biter and a kicker and a screamer and all the things. What happens when one hits the other and then they both get dysregulated? They're both upset. They're both crying. How do you, who do you regulate first? Is it seen as favoriting one if you're trying to regulate one before the other? Because you can't seem to do it at the same time. How? How? Oh my gosh, right? <laughs> so I think here, here's the critical thing that we sometimes miss is that um, the role of us as parents is primarily our caregivers or, you know, whatever the deal is, if you're a hockey coach, who's ever in charge of little people, number one, it is always to do, to be bigger, stronger, kinder, and wise. You're the one who's in control. This is circle security stuff. What I remember all the time is whenever possible, I want you to follow a lead and whenever necessary, take charge. And oftentimes those are take charge moments, right? When, you know, kids are hurting each other or they're losing their minds. It is like, okay, enough. You hear, you hear, stop. And then at that point, right, it becomes a little bit easier. Your lid comes back on and you can decide. And I think there's no right answer. Mm -hmm. In any one of those scenarios, it's not like, okay, for sure, choose the two-year-old. For sure, choose the four-year-old, for sure. And I think what we just want to be noticed, you know, what we want to notice uh, in ourselves is that we are often more inclined to partner with, to align with, to start first with the most regulated child. 
we if you have more than one kid you're likely to favor the one who has the calmer temperament because they make you feel more confident yeah and that's a normal thing that tends to happen all the time. I mean, I often talk about our Olivia, who is one of the, we have boy girl twins and Olivia is the only girl in our family. And uh, I asked Jesus specifically for a daughter. And um, he said to me, you want her? You buckle up. So I got two boys who put together, I would have 87,000 of those boys because their temperament is calm and relaxed, much like their father. Olivia is a ball of fire who tests my will to keep myself in the game every single day. And I am so much easier able to keep my own lid on with the boys than I am with her. And so much of this is really about, okay, so when they're losing their minds, you're in the game. You know what to do first. Deep breath, mama, and let's decide. Come here. Come on. And it's a triage, right? Like if you're in the world of first responders, it's a triage. You got to take the one who is going to cause the most damage in any situation and pull them out first. Does that make sense? And, and there's no right answer. There's not one single right answer in that process. You, you know your babies better than anybody on the planet, right? And you also know your history better than anybody on the planet. So pay close attention to how all those things mesh together and you do the best you can with what you got on any given day and it's enough. And you only have to get it right 30% of the time. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, we took him to a behavior therapist because we just kept having like kicking, hitting, all the things. And I remember it, it does feel this very weird dance, like you're saying of um, loving, soothing, being in charge, whatnot. And and I said to her, I was like, what do we do when just like the kicking, the screaming like hits off? And she's like, you got to hold him close to like get him to calm down. And I'm like, but if I was an outsider looking in, it looks a little violent, me holding him down. And she's like, that's okay. I'm like, really? Because <laughs> you get in your own head about what it looks like. Well, and I think sometimes it really depends on, you know, the age of your child and, and, you know, developmentally where they're at and all of those things. For me, the physical presence is sometimes safer. Yeah. And so even if I just say to you, baby, I'm not leaving, because you know what happens when you say smart enough or I'm leaving. Yeah. They never just pull it back together because they're scared and they need you to co-regulate with them. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes what I do um, is just really, this, I mean, I, we did this last night with our daughter because it was a 45 minute friggin' disaster, um, is like, okay, I'm staying right here. No, get out. Okay, I'm going to stay right here. I don't want to say, okay, mommy, we'll see. And sometimes I sit there for a long enough time, right? You can't regulate alone for long. Yeah. And so I'm a huge believer in timeouts for you, not them. Yeah. Because if you are at the end of your rope, then it is much better to say, I need a break and they won't leave you. So you lock yourself in the bathroom and you put a bottle of white in the tank. But, um, but, but as long as they're safe, right, yeah. that 30 seconds is what you need to be like, okay, he's four. Come on. We got, he's going to be in bed in an hour. Let's go. Let's step back in. Let's dance. Come on, little muffin. Right. Yeah. And, and his job right now, I mean, he's wired. Maybe he's, it's a boy. Yep. So, um, depending on what's going on for this guy, you know, temperament's a bit flippier. He's sensitive. He's probably really smart. All of these things kind of happen. So he's just, uh, he, he's a sensitive dude. He's going to yeah. lose his mind all the time. That's his personal job right now. Yeah. And when his mama is calm and when his dad is calm and everybody's filled up and they've had enough sleep, guess what? This kid, you're like, is that all you got today? That's it. Come on, let's dance. 
and it takes really a lot less time to help them regulate. And when you are exhausted and overwhelmed and questioning your competency as a parent, and maybe there's something really wrong with him, probably he got a brain injury that we're missing, and uh, you know, all of these things that is could potentially go wrong, then guess what happens to your heart rate? Yeah. Guess what happens to your tolerance? The story in your head is, holy shit, there is something really wrong with this kid. Oh, my Jesus. And your baby is so tuned into his mama that he can smell that from the parking lot. They smell fear. Yeah. Oh, like and yesterday I was with Olivia and it was like, you know, I don't know. We were in like the 40th minute. All I wanted to do was go watch Breaking Bad. And I was like sitting in her bed and just like sort of like, okay, okay. She's like, it's not okay. And I'm like, uh mm-hmm. I know love. And then I just like, she screamed or did something again. And I was like, Oh my God, Olivia, you're dra- like, I don't, you know, and then she gets so frustrated because I can't handle it. Mm-hmm. Right. And all she needs is me to walk her home through that process. Now I know that, I mean, I wrote a book about it for God's sake. Yeah. I know that, but in the moment, keeping it together means I only have to do the best I can with what I got in that moment. And, you know, it took us a lot longer, but as soon as I was able to take a break and calm down, then I was able to come back to her and she snuggled into bed. Yeah. But there was 45 minutes in there where a lot of things were said and some dolls were thrown and there was some kicking up the door and all of these things were happening. And her brothers finally said to me, mom, could you just be nice? I was like, okay, listen, you know what? I do not need the peanut gallery here. It's <laughs> out of your place. Yeah. Go back to your bed. I'm so glad, so glad to hear this happens to experts as well. Cause you know, I will have sat there with like train track bits being thrown at the door and you're just like, I'm trying to keep my cool and my shit together, but you're making it hard. Totally. Totally. That is hundred percent normal. And, and, and here's the issue, right? Like there'll be some kids in your, if you have more than one kid, like I cannot imagine Asher, our oldest ever throwing anything. Mm -hmm. I cannot imagine that. I cannot imagine. Olivia came out chucking shit. Like she was out of the gate like that, right? They're wired differently. They have different tolerances. They have different temperaments, all of these things. And we start to measure our capacity as a parent based on how the children respond. And there's so many factors that go into that process, right? They all require the exact same thing. Some just need it in different doses. Now, if they have developmental delay, if they have a trauma history, uh, if they have a genetic condition, you know, a neurological condition, all those things are going to affect the way that they lose their minds. They all need the exact same thing as us just to walk them home. Yeah. And the ones that take more from us means there just needs to be more wine or, I mean, not really, but like it takes a village and a vineyard. That's our new thing around here. It takes a village and a vineyard. I like it. For me, it would be a gin and tonic. Okay, I want to pause the interview really quickly to let you know we are soon going to be launching Don't Just Survive, Thrive, our six-week program that's all about building resiliency and managing stress during COVID-19. And we're making it available and affordable for everyone. So it's going to be coming out next week. So keep your eyes peeled. It's going to be a good one. And this six week program with all the homework and everything and all the resources available, it's only $25. That's what I'm saying when I said I want it available to everyone. I want it accessible 
to everyone. So the ladies who have gone through the group coaching version of this have been on fire. They are working towards their goals despite some of the most challenging times. And this is what you can do as well. You can build resilience. Whatever that goal is that you have for 2020, it's going to look different, definitely with COVID-19, but we're going to help you get to where it is you want to go. We're going to help you re-envision 2020 so you don't just say, oh, this year was such a write-off. No, that is not happening. So if you want to make sure you don't miss out on the news on when this launches, go to stresslessladies.com. On the main page, there's a little thing about how to download 100 self-care ideas for self-isolation. Click on that, sign up, and then you'll make sure you'll get the news. It'll make sure that you get the news when uh, the program launches so that you get some of the early sign-up bonuses. So thank you so much, and uh, back to the interview. I have some listener questions because they just were rolling in. Um, one of them that I found really interesting was how do we know if our kids are actually self-regulating or if they're just internalizing their emotions? She said her son has recently started to bite his nails. He'll say he's upset and that he needs to calm down. He's four. Um, does this mean he's regulating or, or is the nail biting like a sign that something else is going around? Like, is he just mimicking the language that she's using? Yeah, that's such a good question. I mean, it's, it's hard to really know. I think what's really um, important in that process, right, is, is that she knows that baby better than anybody on the planet. And so I would ask him. I would really sort of get him to name it, to tame it, right? Like, and so in those questions a little bit, or in that in that space a little bit, like, holy, what's going on? Mommy's noticing this, right? Yeah. What does it feel like? I don't know. Hmm, where do you feel it in your body? Right? Like, what does this feel like? Sometimes when mommy gets frustrated or scared, that's what I do. Are you scared about anything? And, you know, pay close attention to whatever's happening in your family sometimes. I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic and his routine has been turned on its head. Yeah. So sometimes just naming that for them. Hey, things have been different. Hey, we did lots of changes in this family. Hey, does it happen? You know, I don't know what the situation is, right? But does it happen more when he's at dad's? Does it happen more when he's at mom's? Does it like, all of those things doesn't mean that there's anything wrong in the situation. It's just a cue. All behavior has meaning. Yeah. So what is it about? And sometimes we assume that it's this, you know, oh my gosh, this kid's an anxious max. Or, you know, sometimes he's just a, and he's got a sensitivity and he's really super sensitive. And so that's his soothing technique, right? We got, you know, lots of kids who suck on their sleeves or their arms or their, you know, their fingers and things like that. And sometimes yeah. kids just take their nails. That's the way to calm themselves down. So what is that about? And and if that's a behavioral issue, then we're sort of like, okay, how do we transfer that? Or, you know, what would help? Or when does it happen the most? And, you know, all of those things, I think are great things to just have conversations, even with a four-year-old. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. One of the other questions, and I think this person has a three-year-old, um, the biters and the kickers, how do we help channel that frustration into maybe different positive stress management or self-regulation? Like, should they be screaming into a pillow? We're obviously with them Tell you know, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. Is there anything we can channel that energy into that is less violent? Mm, that's such a good question. I think what matters the most about this is not if you're going to teach, it's when. And we're often very inclined to teach in the moment. No, biting. Biting is bad. We don't hit. All of those things are very true. It is not if I'm going to have those discussions, it's when. So if safety is an issue and they're biting, they're hitting, right? It is that sense of no, 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 no. Nope. You over here, not okay. We don't, right? But in that moment, I want to be able to regulate and calm down. I want to be able to get eyes. I want to be able to get them to take a drink or a snack because they get their prefrontal cortex back on quicker. And then I say, what was happening? Right? When we get upset, right? we cannot bite. 
right? When we get upset, let's, you know, what, what else can we do? Let's try this, buddy, right? You have to tell mommy or come and get in that, like, you know, all those things. And the thing is, it's not a one-off. It won't happen after one, you know, parents yeah. say, all the time, well, we tried it. Uh, okay. So they have the, the prefrontal cortex is flipping all the time. You might have to try it 877 times, right? we got to go around that boat again. And okay. 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 Right. You think about that. How many times they flip their, their lid, you know, zero to two. Um, you don't just sort of calm them down once. And then they're like, okay, 10, four, got it. Yeah. You got to go through it a million times to create those mineral pathways. Make sense. I see. I found zero to two. Not so bad. It's the fucking fours, man. That's like what <laughs> everyone warned me. And now I'm like, Oh, ugh. you were right. Yeah. That's okay. So when you were saying some of those things that they could do instead, like you, when you were saying, what, what are some of those things that we can do differently instead of biting? Like, can you give us a couple examples so we can try them out? Well, I think what really matters is, you know, um, in the book, you know, we talked a little bit about this, right? Like when you, when you are really connected to your babe, not in the moment of, um, you know, of the lid flip or the disconnect, that's where it really matters. How do we show genuine interest in the things they care about? Um, that really, you know, gives us a lot of leverage um, when the when those hard moments come. Not if, but when those hard moments come. And I often think about this even like from a coaching perspective, right? Uh, or a teacher. When you have built a relationship that's solid um, before the meltdown happens, you have much more capacity in the meltdown. So when you see, um, you know, kids at school who just lose their mind, they will go, you know, they'll seek out to find specific teachers. Uh, they won't hit certain teachers if they, you know, if they're hitters. Um primarily because they have a relationship with them. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I really want for you to think about is, you know, how are you sort of leaning in, showing genuine interest in things that kids love? And when you're an exhausted, overwhelmed parent, the last thing you want to do, for example, if you have a seven-year-old, is to learn Minecraft. The last thing you want to do is, you know, if you have a, you know, a 12-year-old is to, to spend an hour playing um, Fortnite. Mm-hmm. But those are the things they love that's their jam. And when you want to get your heart, I mean, it's just like you and me, when somebody's very interested in the things I love to talk about, those are my people. I want to spend more time with them. I start to value their opinion. I start to be more responsive. If they say, you know what, Joe, here's what I was thinking. Unless that thing is love is blind for you. (laughs) That's a whole other course, girl, a whole other course. Anyway, I think that um, then the other thing that I think is really important in that moment is eye contact. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you are distressed, no matter for what reason, your eyes will be down. And so when you think about anybody who's anxious or depressed, anybody who's lying, anybody who is um, uh, in a state of grief or mourning, uh, the first thing that goes is their eyes, their mm-hmm. eye contact. And, you know, we often say there's there's significant differences, cultural differences with respect to eye, eye contact. It's not really true, actually, because, um, well, I mean, it is true, but the, the fundamental understanding of all of that is there's not a culture on this planet that doesn't make eye contact a socially referenced. Yeah. This is true of kids on the autism spectrum, but they too make eye contact um, to judge safety. But what happens is if I can't get a kid's eyes, um, it's really important to me that, that that's where I start. Because when I can look at you, then I can start to sort of judge so much easier about, you know, what's going on. Are you mad? Are you sad? Are you in pain? And um, we look all the time now, but we don't see because there's so many distractions. You're on your iPad. I'm on my phone. Um, you know, before the things have changed significantly in the last six weeks as we've been, you know, in more and more in people's physical spaces uh, with people we love at home. Um, but typically uh, we're so disconnected mm-hmm. that we don't have the capacity to sort of watch 
to walk each other home through that. And I, and I think that's just the thing I really want you to pay attention to, despite the fact that we are in each other's physical spaces, maybe more with our immediate families, uh, pay close attention to not only looking, but seeing, because eye contact is the first regulation. If I can get their eyes, then I can walk them home through this. Yeah. And I think as hard as this time is right now, and it's so different for everyone, right? I, I can only speak for myself. The first, we used to say, my husband and I, like, Monday morning, drop the kids off at day home. You were so pumped. You survived the weekend. Um, and then it was like, oh, amazing. We actually went two weeks with them at home, and it wasn't all, like, sunshine and roses. But I was like, but we did it. Like, we have right? the ability to survive it. Right? Yeah. I know. I know. I, um, yeah, I just, I just feel so much about that. It's like, you know, then the other thing we talk about a lot is like, where's the joy in this situation? Because there's been such a big change. How often have we really slowed down enough to, to, to still, you know, belly laugh with the babies. I, I truly think Victoria, when I think about this is that we're going to want this time back. It's not going to be long where we were like, remember, yeah. remember what that was like when we really didn't have anything, you know, to, to rush to yeah. my God, I'd give anything to be back there. So I just like, I just really don't want us to miss it. Yeah. I do feel for the parents. Like I know a few parents that both of them are still working at home with kids and like the number of, like they almost have less time than they've ever had before. So I do like every situation is so different, but at the same time, they are getting some of those moments that they, you know, normally their childcare providers would see or the educators would see. And so, totally. so yeah, it is, picking up on those things. Um, one of the other questions I had was, uh, is it common for new fears to arise with the stress of COVID? Um, one of the listeners talked about her kids suddenly being afraid of insects. She did say specifically the word bug. So she's not sure if there's like, how do I know if they're keep hearing this? You know, if it's because we're saying this bug is going around and now they're like, it's an insect or is it just they've suddenly become afraid of insects? Like, how, how do we? How do you know? Yeah. Um, you know, I would say nothing is really a coincidence. And, and when everybody is heightened around these little babies, they tend to get heightened too. And developmentally, it is not uncommon to go through periods of fear, right? Where like mommy's going to die or bugs are going to kill us or like all of these kind of things. And I think what's, you know, what starts to happen is we start to panic. Like, is there something going on with this kid? Is, you know, is this the start of OCD? Like, oh my God, we're in big trouble. <sighs> When the angst around us is increasing and people are worried about bugs and people about, you know, worrying about dying, your kids are going to be anxious too. So how do we name it? How do we say, you know, tell me more. What are you worried about? What's your biggest worry? And when you can hold some space for it before you try to fix it, then you get a better understanding about where it's coming from. Right. And no matter how little they are, you know, help me under, you know, tell me more and, and see what, you know, what happens. And, and then we just respond the best we can with what we got. Right and fearful flipping your lid being you know concerned about disconnect uh or separating from each other um is is a normal response and how we respond to it is is, is most important yeah okay interesting yeah it's interesting because it is that like we can't get inside their brains and understand everything and yeah. they're all at different levels of how well they can communicate with us so yeah no that's really interesting I'm very conscious of time. So before we move into the final five questions that I ask uh, all of my guests, you've got a couple new programs coming out that I would love you to tell our listeners about. Oh my gosh. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So we're so excited about this. So we've done this big shift for a long time. I was on the road so much and we had talked about doing an online course. And so that there is, you know, material re ready all the time. I do lives every morning during this, um, 
pandemic. So uh, on our Facebook and Instagram page every morning at 8.15, I jump on and do half an hour of whatever sort of is in the world. And um, then we've put together um, uh, an online course for, for kids these days. And so there's, I think, eight modules and different things about it. So we launched that. The pre-sales start tomorrow. And then it goes out into the world on May 1st. So I'm super excited about that. It's great for PD and... Um, yeah, so I'm excited about that, and then um, and then I was also telling you about our we're doing a course around grief and loss because so many people are really uh, have so many questions about you know how do we navigate this this period of we, we've lost so much, uh, and so a funeral director a friend of mine named Jeremy Allen who's a rock star he and I are going to jump on and do a, a seminar a course and it's twenty five dollars a ticket, uh, and you jump with a you jump online with us for two hours uh, in May May sixteenth I think wow. is the date. Yeah, so we got all of those that information. I'll send you all the links for that. That's awesome. And did I hear? So I've got many friends who are teachers, which is how I found out about you in the first place. And did I hear there's going to be a teachers these days coming? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, Lori McIntosh and I, who's Mrs. Max Kinders uh, on Instagram, she's a phenomenal educator. So we're going to write teachers these days together. So we just, uh, if you're on our email list and you're an educator, um, we send out, I'd love to know what you're doing in the classroom. I'd love to know, you know, how you're walking kids home from relationship trauma stuff. Um, and we want to put it in the book so that teachers have a lot of resources, you know, with the kids these days sort of philosophy uh, infused um, through it all. So yeah, we're super excited about that. That'll come out, I think, in January. Oh, that's amazing. Well, I, I have to say, I know Kids These Days is written for educators, but as a parent, I still got so, so much from it. So I think it's yeah. something everyone needs to read. I love it. Thank you. So final five, which are kind of quick fire. Uh, the first thing, what are some things or projects that get you really fired up, but in a good way? <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So the thing I'm fired up about the most right now is probably these web courses. Cause I, like, I was so reticent to do them before because I was like, Nope, I'm all about face-to-face -face connection. I'm not putting any shit online. I really want people to like come and create a community. And what, you know, the Corona has really given us, I think is just how much you can create a community online and, and then how, you know, how we're going to just use this as a platform to stay connected face-to-face -face once this is all over. Um, so that's exciting for me. And so we've done one for teachers, but I'm now creating the content for first responders and their spouses. And so that just, that's just keeping me up at night. I'm so excited. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. What's the most inspiring book that you've read in the past few years? Um, hands down, uh, without a doubt, it's Brene Brown. Um, I would say um, my favorite of all time is Darren Greatly. Um, but as a leader, our team has grown really quickly over the last year and um, Dare to Lead is, is the philosophy I die on. So anything by Brene uh, changes my life. Yeah, her new podcast is phenomenal. I, I know, yeah. I love it. Yes, it's so good. I've learned so much from her. Yeah. What are some of your go-to strategies for handling stress? Um, I think, you know, what used to be a thing for me, um, like I would work out, I mean, I ran, I can't even tell you how many marathons or half marathons in every fall. Um, and I used to work out all the time to, to try to keep this cranium chassis in check and get skinny. And, um, now as I'm, I'm, uh, I'm 44 and I, I just realized how important it is to move my body. And not in any way to make me skinny, uh, but really just like if I can even get 20 minutes on a treadmill, I'm a different human being. And uh, I don't do it all the time. I don't do it nearly enough because everything trumps that. Like, you know, all the kids were in the bed or I, oh, I, I washed my hair yesterday. <laughs> so I don't really want to work out, you know. So there's so many times where I have to get serious about that. But I think that is like my number one thing. And I really pay attention to who I, who I surround myself with. Yeah. 
it's so funny. I've been saying this to everyone over the past five or six weeks. Uh, I work in stress reduction, but I always say that doesn't mean I don't get stressed. Like that would be unrealistic. And I've found like my heart racing at moments. And those are the moments where I'm like, no, I have to go do a workout. And it, exactly like you're saying is not for how I look or the COVID-19 or any of that. It is uh, just to get that heart in check so that I can then manage my day and not flip my lid at everyone in my household. <laughs> totally, right? Yeah. 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 No, What's the best life lesson that you've learned or advice that you've been given? Oh my gosh. Okay. So that, that one's easy to me. The one that comes straight to my mind is don't fix it. And I had a mentor when I was at the children's hospital, his name is Paul Olson. And, um, I, I wonder all the time if this guy knows how much he changed my life, but, uh, I've been such a fixture my whole life, you know, in our family and certainly in our marriage and as a parent, like, here's the answers. Just let me do it. Move over. I got it. And, um, I think, you know, Paul gave me this feedback all the time within a clinical setting. And then it just sort of became such the mantra for me for life is, um, how do you not fix it? How do you just hold space? Um, you don't have the answers for everything. Um, and it's not about what you say. Of course, my Angelou and many other people said this, but it's not what you say. It's how you make people feel. So how do you, Stephen Covey also said, you know, seek first to understand before being understood. And so I think that's the biggest, like, that's such a superpower if you can just hold space for people first and the people who need it the most are the hardest to give it to. Yeah. And the final question, Jody, is what does it mean to you to live your best life? Oh my gosh. It, what it means to me is that I'm spending time with people who make me want to be better. And uh, the COVID has really taught me it's not about where you're at, it's who you're with. And um, I think that I, I am pleasantly surprised how much time I love spending time with my children, um, how much I value my team, uh, how much I miss my, my two, the physical presence of my two best friends. Um, and uh, it's so much less about, you know, what we're doing and really what they do for my soul. So I think living my best life means surrounding myself with the people who just make me want to be better every day. Yeah. I love it. Well, I highly recommend that everyone check out your online courses, your book, and on social media, you're doing a little thing. Hashtag not today, Corona. You tell Good a little job. bit about uh, how people should, what the purpose of that is and how they can get involved. Yeah, we, you know, it's so funny, just before the lockdown of our world happened, um, I had went to a comedian who's a good friend of mine named Joe Dabrowski, he's a, uh, an educator, and he opened his set by saying like, Corona, who's scared of the Corona? And I started every morning then coming on being like, not today, Corona. Because I used to say to my children all the time, like, not today, Satan. Like, we are not, we're, you're not going to win. I am very appreciative of the fact that the devil is trying to push us around here, and I am not going to lose my mind on you. And so when Corona came, I would, you know, we were all like, not today. Nuh-uh. You are not going to steal the joy. Even though we can't be with each other, you're still not going to win. And so we really encouraged our community to just to do that with each other and say, not today, Corona. And to take pictures and, you know, send us the things they're doing to stay connected to, in their community and with their families. It's not but this stupid virus push us around. Yeah. Well, it gives me light every day when I check my Instagram feed. So thank you so much for all the work that you do and for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, girly. Thank you so much for connecting with us on this interview with Dr. Jody. She is phenomenal and she's funny. I know you'll have enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed being there for it. So if you enjoyed it, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and a review. It's honestly one of the best ways that you can help podcasts, especially during this challenging time, is to uh, boost our rating and reviews so that we have more of a chance to get in front of other listeners uh, and share the work that we do. So thank you so much. I can't wait to connect with you next week 
week when we're going to be talking about how to manage stress uh, during COVID for entrepreneurs, what that looks like, how the changing landscape looks, all the good things. Thank you so much. Have a fantastic week and take care of yourselves. Bye. Bye.